What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of comics that have come out this week. New ones, in fact. And Ooh. let's kick it off with Wakanda, number New one. New ones. From Marvel, written by Stephanie Williams and Evan Narcisse, art by Paco Medina and Natasha Bustos. In this book, Black Panther is on the run, or rather, he's on the run in his own book, but Wakanda is left behind. Shuri and her mom, Queen Ramonda, are trying to figure out what to do about that. That's the main story as Rhino comes to visit. And oh, of course, Rhino. there's a little bit more stuff going on. Another than back matter, we are getting a long-term history of Wakanda. What'd you guys think about this kickoff here? I enjoyed this. Uh, not only was the art uh, great, but I liked this kind of like angle, um, you know, um, having Black Panther not in the picture uh, right now in real life uh, made it easier for me to get on board with this. And so I felt like uh, Rhino was a fun choice. It was uh, it was kind of an adorable Rhino. And uh, I don't know. I thought it worked uh, pretty good um, with the story and everything. And, yeah, I thought it was a great first issue. Gets you excited for more. A great team working on it. I'm a sucker for a map in the beginning. So, yeah, I think they were killing it. Love a map. Um, yeah, I agree. This is this is a good book. Definitely setting up uh, sort of the the movie uh, movie in the comic universe thing of having Shuri be the main character here. Um, and it was good. I thought the Rhino was a good sort of villain and brought in in a, a nice, smart way. Yeah. Do you feel like um, in between panels, um, Shuri was um, saying some anti-vax stuff? Mm-hmm. Oh man, too she soon. definitely wasn't wearing a ma- mask the entire time. And there was that one yeah. panel where she's like. COVID isn't real and vaccines are. <laughs> and Rhino was like, what the fuck did you say? <laughs> what, what's going on? <laughs> Don't, too much I thought we were going to fight. I, uh, but let me also, yeah. uh, well, I'm uh, taking a break from um, that bit, but I'm talking uh, about the back matter and especially um, all of the reference material included after sort of the, the set of the, the second story, which was a setup for the history of Black Panther in general. There's just a great amount of like reference to comics from, uh, the deep past, um, like the 70s and 80s, sort of the beginning of Black Panther, and the, the more modern stuff that really connects Black Panther to the Avengers. And I really appreciated being able to sift through that. This was a nice surprise for me. I found a lot of the Black Panther stuff in the past couple of years very dense, really well done, but often a little hard to break into from an emotional and story perspective. But the way that Stephanie Williams frames up this first adventure here, it's much more a down-to-earth Wakanda that's going on. Shuri is very relatable, all jokes about Letitia Wright aside. And I I had a lot of fun. Like Pete was saying, her versus Rhino is a fun fight that I didn't expect. And then you have this backstory that with this gorgeous art by Natasha Bustos, really beautiful just to look at. Um, And the layouts were really gorgeous as well. So this is a very nice package overall. I was very happy. And you know what I thought was especially smart about this? Like a lot of comics that are setting up a movie um, really lean into that and don't Mm -hmm. give us the comic book um, sort of connection. And this comic was like, we're going to set up sort of um, a lot of the Wakanda world for the movie. But we're going to have Shuri fight Rhino, which I thought was great. Like, it's almost as if if there were another comic we're going to talk about this uh, in this stack (laughs) that was sort of leaning into a movie, uh, maybe Mm. does it a different way. Interesting. Interesting. Or if there was another comic that was leaning into the same movie, but also leading even further away. Right. 
whole theme going on there. Let's jump over to Batman Incorporated, number one, from DC Comics, written by Ed Bryson, art by John Timms. This is following a group of international, mostly not Batman, but people that have been inspired by Batman. Who are it's like people who hero. raided Batman's closet. I'm going to wear a hat. I'm going to wear it's his Batman, gloves. It's a Batman team. It's Ghost Maker, right? Yeah, Ghostmaker. Um, I always want to well, call him Orphan Maker. you haven't paid attention for the past year? No, like, I always want to call year? him Orphan Maker, which is the X-Men character. Me and too. And I say Orphan Maker all the time too. And yes, yeah. it's Ghostmaker. It's yeah. Ghostmaker. So this is him leading this group of international Batman on a new mystery. Pete, it seems like you were pretty jazzed about this. So talk about what you liked about it. Yes, great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I feel like this was uh, a fun <laughs> use of the new Bat Team. Uh, cool story. Even cooler art. Uh, I really enjoyed the like the kind of interest that they're stirring in this I- first issue of who the big bad is going to be revealed. We kind of get these like notes left by them, which is uh, uh, did a good job of building interest. Uh, so I felt like they did a great job as far as their first issue of like setting up this premise and then getting you excited for more. Um, I like this as well, and I'm going to say something that maybe sounds like a, a negative, but I mean it positively. This yeah, comic I reminded me. This. this comic reminded me a lot of the uh, Extreme X Men book that Chris Claremont launched, sort of back in the mid aughts. I want to say, mm-hmm. where it was like taking uh, some X Men. They moved to Australia, and they brought in a bunch of new characters, and they were always jumping around doing international things. And this book has that same energy and. I think the art is a little bit reminiscent of that, which I enjoy. And it feels like it's such a different flavor for the Bat family to be in. It's very, like, born identity. There's a lot of stuff happening. A lot of characters who are like, you believe this? Uh, you believe Orphan Maker's making us do this? Like, there's a whole... It's Ghostmaker, uh, you fucking to, asshole. Sorry, you did it on purpose that, that time. I would never do that on purpose, Pete. It seems like you uh, just did. Here's no, my I, big question, and this has always been my question with Batman Incorporated. How are they making money as a corporation? Shouldn't they be like a Batman 501c3 or something like that? Because wow. they're much more of a nonprofit. That's well, a great point. Let's see if we can you. get them to change the title. <laughs> Let's get this hashtag trending, folks. Batman, <laughs> Batman 501c3. 501c3. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. This is a big one. I'm excited to hear in particular what Pete thinks about this because he, all jokes from the live show aside, has been the biggest proponent of this book for 30 issues so far. Once in Future, number 30 from Boob Studios, written by Karen Gillen, art by Dan Mora. It all comes down to this. All of the stories, all of the mythology, one huge fight, and it all kind of gets wrapped up with the potential for a little bit more, which Karen Gillen talks about in the back matter. But Pete, what did you think? You were... Uh, like I said, the biggest fan of the three of this book, did it wrap up for you in a satisfying manner? Yeah, I mean, I, I really like the emotional beats here what you have um, with a, a grandmother and a, a daughter and stuff. So Real I think quick, that, what's the grandmother's name? What's her character's name? Uh, grandma. And uh, I mean, I have that same issue with this book where I'm like, <laughs> yeah, there's the grandma. The kid who has a ponytail sometimes, and the the, the girl. son, and then the, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I I thought they did a good job of kind of like, you know, these characters are who they are, kind of in time, you know. So it was like the you know putting them kind of back in their place. Uh, 
I thought it was very interesting, especially that one panel where uh, the villain was like, come and stop me. Um, Yeah, I I just feel like this was such a creative, cool book from start to finish. You know, Zalbin thought it went on too long, but I enjoyed all of it. And uh, you can't say enough about the art. This was such a just fun ride uh, overall. Just such a cool kind of family story intertwined with these stories that we know from our childhood just really well executed well drawn such a an amazing kind of event and i'm glad we were here for it um i've been a little bit critical of this book um but i do love this book like reading this last issue it definitely brought back all of the promise from the first uh, arc and the first few issues that i was like yes this is great dan mora art very good but there's it, I think it's very telling that like it is hard to remember um the care all the characters names um and it's because like the story took over so much of this and the sto- the fact that there's a story about stories there was a little bit of a distance here and there was one scene where the char- the characters were like ah I see what's happening here the characters almost commentating on the action when I want them to just be in the action um but there's a- another scene that I just loved is um uh, the the character the the girl um, she it, she's the Arthur she becomes the Arthur and yeah. has over the last arc and there's a great moment where she's like oh I'm the Arthur so that makes you the Guinevere to Duncan and it was great it was such a just like a smart little turn and it was a beautiful character moment from characters that I wish I got to know more I feel like I never got to know them because but they were the- in the midst of so much plot. Her entrance was so badass, too. Of course. That, like, this book hit, hits the marks. I just wish we could have slowed down a little bit and spent time with these characters so I could be invested in this romantic relationship that we've seen literally zero about. <laughs> I know that they're holding hands at the end, so I think they end up together. But truly, they don't talk about it at all except for this Arthur Guinevere moment. I think I'm with both of you guys on this just in you terms are, of um, – Like on this podcast. Oh, that's news. Dan Mora's art, as we've been talking about, is unimpeachable throughout 30 issues of this run. It's just been great, insanely wild fantasy stuff throughout. I do think Kieran Gillen kind of says it best, and I'm paraphrasing here, but right at the beginning of the back matter, he's like, well, we certainly failed at making that a miniseries, <laughs> yeah. which is yeah. we, we had him on the podcast back during those initial six issues where he was talking about. Oh, man, yeah, we should have talked to him about the grandma, you know. It, it was this high octane action movie, you know, yeah. and that's what he was going for. And that was the feel there. And there's, I think the thing that I took away from it is like, there's only so much you could watch an action movie because you're like, I need a, I need a little bit of a break, <laughs> just like yeah. a break, just like a second here. Um, so I had a fun time reading this. I, uh, like Justin was saying, I always wanted to read and like this book. I think it ended in a really satisfying manner. Um, I'd be curious to hear from anybody who reads it in trade form where you're reading it all together where it's not month to month. Yeah, Because I do think that pacing might make a really big difference, potentially. But (laughs) there you go. Excuse me. Next up, Hackslash, Hot Shorts, number one from Image Comics, written by Tim Seeley, art by Jim Terry, Tim Seeley, and Daniel Leister. This is a collection of a couple of short stories set in the world of Hackslash that follows a woman named Cassie, who is the final girl of a kind of horror movie in quote-unquote real life, but she survived and went on to kill slashers herself. Pete, again, not to keep going to you, but you're a big fan of Hackslash. 
How do you yeah. having it back? Just so you know, for future, uh, Cassie uh, survives a, a, a slasher film, and that's it. You know what I mean? You don't have to add any more to it. But anyways, um, so what are you I talking th- about? Uh, the whole I'm thing just, is then she goes and kills slashers. Yeah, I know. That's she the survives her own slasher situation, and then, and then does nothing else. And then and then goes on to d- live. Dedicates a nice life. her life to making sure nobody else has to. It's like a Punisher situation. I don't know what yeah. we're disagreeing. I feel okay. like we're just disagreeing. I think we're <laughs> agreeing. The yeah. true true agreement. Yeah. Anyways, um, I mean, I got a little emotional to see Cassie and Vlad back together again. I mean, they haven't been together in years and years and years. So you know, we got like a little s- snippet of uh, you know hosing the blood off fun, but it was just. Uh, just to see those two back together again, and uh, to hear he's him crying right now for anybody listening. Yeah, to exactly. Him he's trying to his, hold like, it in. Her breathe thing was just uh, it's just emotional. Well, let me say, if you're a Hacksash fan, um, you're probably reading this. But um, th- this the slice of life story that, which is the second story, written and drawn by Tim Seeley, is essential reading. It's such a good, uh, such a great story of their relationship, sort of expressed in a way where we we don't usually have this time with with them to really see a moment like this and i i just loved i mean i thought that this whole issue is great but that slice of life story in the middle i thought just was above and beyond great to see just them it was funny it was sweet it was uh it it fills in some mythology like I, i loved it yeah 100 there with you guys that was the thing that stood out to me and it was good. We need more Hackslash. We need more Tim Seeley on Hackslash because it's so good and so sweet and funny and uh, gross and dirty at the same time. Good stuff. But let me shout out one, one, the, the pinup Hackslash 1942 in the uh, back matter. Okay, let's see that. I'm ready for it. Mm-hmm. Like more Hackslash uh, all across the board. Namor Conquered Shores, number one from Marvel, written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Pasquale Ferry. This was one of the books we were teasing earlier. It's definitely in some sense teeing up Wakanda Forever because Wakanda they are having forever. a new Namor book. Uh, but this is a very big swing and even farther removed than Wakanda was because this is essentially showing us like a Namor the End style book or an old man Namor book where yeah. the entire world has become water world. Namor now rules the seas, or at least he is seated the leadership of the new Atlantis to Nemarita, I think is leading stuff. Uh, and it is this battle between the surface world and the underwater world that is only going to get worse and weirder. This is 100% not what I expected, both from the cover as well as just from the setup of, Hey, we're setting up Namor, the submariner for people who don't know him watching uh, Wakanda forever. Um, Wakanda but this forever. was awesome. And mostly awesome because Christopher Cantwell, you might know him from like, Halt and Catch Fire and other things has become a really accomplished comic book writer. But Pasquale Ferry's art, sign me up right there. Come on. Well, well, that's what I want to highlight is the – I mean, I I thought this was great. And to see sort of this extension into this new universe um, was very cool. But the Pasquale Ferry art, um, like I've loved – Pascal's art from uh, for a long time. The Thor work he did, Adam Strange, uh, just great at um, drawing those sort of. I'm trying to think what it is. Almost like uh, when a character in a video game gets their armor upgraded or something. Like just, <laughs> it's just so good. Um, 
And the story, like, I'm very curious to just explore this world where, uh, very smartly, it's as if the oceans have taken over, uh, which something is that is happening in our real lives. Uh, the idea that, yes, it's bad for all the people on land, but for Atlantis, it expands their dominion and it, the bureaucracy of that. The idea that Namor put Namorita in charge, which is sort of a weird, like, if you had someone who is like Peterita or Alexita. Like, it'd be like, oh, I don't know. I wish you had a different name. By the way, I just want to mention I really like a Peterito with a salt rim, personally. (laughs) Oh, boy. You had to make it creepy. Uh, Always my order. First (laughs) off, I just want to say, like, Namor is one of those kind of characters that uh, it's always very interesting to see what people are going to do with this character. He is a a polarizing character, you know, like, um, you know, the little – you know, like wings on the feet thing aside, um, you know, he is definitely a force to be reckoned with. And I thought it was interesting to kind of see him a little bit kind of like over the hill and kind of like him chilled out a little bit and the way he is acting in this comic. I really enjoyed not only uh, the kind of his dialogue and how he was kind of moving throughout the world, but uh, the art and the kind of... Uh, the the colors and all that kind of stuff really just super beautiful. I thought this was such a awesome book, and um, yeah, I, I I had such a blast with this. This was so cool. I want to see one of his little wings banged up, you know, oh, to yeah. show that time has passed. Uh, and do you think if one of his wings gets banged up, he flies crooked? Probably thrives directly into a wall or something like that. I mean, here's the thing is we've seen an innumerable amount of apocalypse worlds from Marvel and other publishers. So that idea is nothing new. But the idea of what if Neymar won, you know, does feel fresh, does feel new and is exciting and added in great art. You have a, a really good new comic book that I'm very excited about that in no way sets up a movie coming to theaters in November. It does oh, not God, forever. No. How badly do you think people want to? Marvel wants to go back and be like, "Can we get rid of those little wings? Just like cut those wings <laughs> no out way, because man. they." I mean, how do they keep him afloat? They, are he, they just are they, are they humming the movie. entire time? He has no, them in the movie. I, he's just sort of floating I, there. He's like, yeah, he looks like a guy in one of those uh, one of those hoverboard things that people have now, where he's just like sort of going. Yeah. There you go. He does, but those wings got to be just moving. I feel like it'd be exhausting. Or those wings would be jacked. Yeah. He's probably got some jacked ankles. Yeah. Nice. Should we keep talking about this, or should we talk about Superman, Son of Kal-El, number 16, from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Cian Tormi and Rurari Coleman. And this issue... Uh, John is doing a bunch of different stuff on Earth, but trying to keep things going while Clark is still away. This isn't too much of a spoiler because it's right there on the front of the issue. But Clark does return after his adventure on War World. And so we get that reunion there. That's what the issue is all leading up to. Justin, you were emotionally affected by this one. So take it away. Great issue. Sort of a reset point after it felt like getting back to the very first issue of this comic um, where we had um, our Superman, um, our our new Superman uh, sort of being like, here's what I do. Here's what I want to do. I fly up. I see what's amiss on the earth and I go and fix it. But this comic, this issue was just a collection of amazing small moments. The ways that life. 
uh, the, the ways that John has filled in for, um, his dad and like he heats up his mom's coffee with his, uh, his heat vision. Mm -hmm. He's Mm -hmm. out there doing Superman things the way that he, I love the scene where he, he saved the life of someone, but accidentally broke his arm. So he goes back to be like, Hey man, I'm sorry. I sort of messed up a little bit. He, the guy's like, you, I would have been been dead. He's like, yeah, but I usually don't break people's arms. Like just, I I mean it when I say it, a collection of small moments that I thought was just awesome. This book continues to just be a absolute star every time it comes out. This was so touching and moving, uh, just so beautifully done, such a great issue. Very cool kind of like day in the life of what he kind of goes through. And this whole thing about the heartbeat really got me. And uh, yeah, I mean, this... It was just, it was really beautiful, really well done. The art is uh, tight bananas, just uh, so, so spot <laughs> Wait, on. Wait, hold, hold on. Did you say tight bananas? <laughs> tight bananas, man. It's just tight Now, let me bananas. ask you, I know, that, just to, for clarity's sake, um, mm-hmm. when you say that, you, that's a good thing. Yeah, And let me ask you, if you get Did a you tight banana. Did you hear anything I said before that? Yes, but that, it's still confusing when you throw out like that was tight bananas. That's tight I feel bananas. like that's something. I, yeah. I love to order a pita with a tight banana and a salt. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Hey, let me ask you, Pete. Do you like bananas? Too? <laughs> oh my god, I love bananas. <laughs> and so when you get a tight banana, do you consider that like a small, like one of those like, teeny oh, ones? No, those no, those tiny just, bananas. Uh, a tight banana is just like a perfectly ripe. Uh, a banana that is just you know it's tight it's tight like you got it green and you let it wait just the right amount of time yeah, to get tight. tight yeah oh, nice. wow. that's what a window what a window into a psychopath's <laughs> mind we've had here <laughs> you're constantly on me about being like oh you made it creepy and then you go and talk about how things are tight bananas whatever so <laughs> no, i don't know not creepy there's nothing creepy about game recognized game is all i'm saying this <laughs> book is <laughs> This book, like you guys are saying, is great, emotionally affecting. You know the entire issue that Clark is coming back, and it's all leading up to that moment the entire time you're reading the book. And I I couldn't help but think the entire time. I was like, oh, are they going to do this? Are they going to pull this off? And they do. Yeah. And yeah, they it do. got me in my heart when you have that full-page spread of them reuniting it perfect it completely nails it but then uh, no i I think like you know what's coming and then the question is like can they actually hit that moment properly and they do just thinking about it from the perspective of an artist like hey no big deal superman's been gone forever you just gotta nail this page that's so much pressure but Uh. the fact that they do it is phenomenal well, and I think the another to keep raving about it, the way the issue starts with flashing back to John as a kid, first yeah. realizing he has powers and not being able to handle it. And um, Clark, his dad, Kal-El being like, just listen to my heartbeat. So he sets up this thing and then he puts us in John's position where we're waiting to hear that again. Like waiting the whole issue. We're like, just like John is. He's like, every day I'm trying to listen for my dad's heartbeat. Every moment in we're reading this, every panel, we're like, is this the one where his heartbeat's going to come up? And then it happens. And it's just, it's a little ingenious trick, I feel like, that is right in there. And where the trap springs for us every time. It's it's great. Great. Definitely pick this up. Next up, The Approach, number one from Boob Studios, written by Jeremy Hahn and Jason A. Hurley, art by Jesus Harves and Leah Caballero. Caballero, excuse me. Uh, So this takes place on a snowy tarmac 
where a plane crashes, but there is some weird stuff going on with the folks who are on board. It spins wildly out of control there. Without getting too much into spoilers, I would say it's basically like The Thing, but set in an airport. If um, I, and I'm into it. Pete, you have a question. No, I just wanted to say I, I, I felt like it was more Die Hard 2 meets mm. uh, zombies, uh, you know, because of the whole airport and everything. Right, airport in the snow and everything. Yeah. I consider it like um, airplane, but more, um, but less funny. But like more Ooh. zombies. Yeah, Good. I'd kind of consider it like The Terminal, the movie with Tom Hanks. Mm. Oh, right, right. But less funny and with zombies? But mm. I, I don't know if I The Terminal know. I would consider <laughs> how to make it less funny. <laughs> it's the funniest movie ever made. A huge comedy. Everybody oh, watches that when they want to just have a laugh. <laughs> Is The Terminal maybe the least rewatched movie on Earth? Oh, I'd say Avatar, but this book is very good. I really liked it. The art is very good. I was definitely curious to see where that was going the entire issue, but it slowly builds the tension and horror throughout to a crazy reveal in the last page. Yeah. Very excited to read the second issue of this. Yeah, they did such a great job of like really building towards it and delivering, man. Uh, Fantastic art. Just the intensity... Perfectly builds, gets you super excited at the end. Such a tight package. Um, yeah, this was tight bananas. I agree. Um, I <laughs> thought that um, really built attention. Um, I loved just like I thought it was going to be more of a zombie. We get a reveal of sort of the monster at the end. Right. And it wasn't as it's something different than a zombie. And I sort of was committed to being like, this is going to be a great slow burn zombie at a Snowden airport situation. And instead I'm like, Oh, it's uh, a monster that moves faster than that. Um, so, I, but I think the tension was built so expertly and I was, I'm very excited. It reminded me of, um, uh, station 11. Uh, mm. if anybody watched that, uh, mm. the scenes that were at the airport, I was feeling, I was jonesing. For I that thought you were going to say this. world war Z. Mm. Yeah. That too. Mm. Interesting. Uh, it's a little more like The Flight Attendant, the TV show, I would say. Wow. And that's the last Good. reference we'll make. Hitomi, number one from Image Comics, written by H.S. Talk, art by Isabella Mazzanti. This is following a young warrior who is chasing the man who I believe killed her entire family. Yep. Things take some swerves and turns from there. The art, I thought, was great in this book. Really, uh, I it's bet beautiful. Pete is going to be enjoying it in particular. Uh, but also I really like the turns the story take in terms of the hero and villain. And they're both not exactly what you think. Pete, what'd you think about this one? Yeah. I mean, we got really a, a kind of a lone wolf and cub situation. Uh, uh, you, you, uh, like kind of wandering samurai type of situation. But what's great is the turns, you know, you, you think like, okay, you understand this person's out for revenge. Nothing's going to get in their way. Whoa. Uh, so I was super impressed with this, but the, the, the colors and the, the, the kind of romantic coloring of it really just is, is so cool and really sets up this amazing tone. Uh, I love the way that they show the drive of our kind of main character as they kind of like are going about the world and making maybe questionably horrible choices. So like I, I was just really very interested in the characterizations and how this is all going to ho- unfold. 
super, super great setup, stakes, reveals. I was just really blown away by this comic. Not only was it beautiful, but it delivers on something that you didn't know you wanted. Um, great art, great sort of positioning of characters, uh, sort of uh, fun surprises, the way it turns and the way that our main character is sort of like, you know what? I hate this shit. I'm just going to eat. I'm going to steal this fish. Like all this, like yeah. a lot of great surprises in here that I thought was really fun. Next up, Star Wars, The High Republic, number one from Marvel, written by Kevin Scott, art by Ario Anandito. In this issue, we're getting two stories from The High Republic. As you can tell from the number one, it isn't necessarily rebooting things, but this is kicking off the second phase of The High Republic in comic books, at the very least. The lead story, without getting too much into spoilers, starts in, I would say, a very typical place for a Jedi story in modern comics. But I'm starting to feel like Kevin Scott is a master of the last second twist in comics, because the thing that happens in the last page completely sold me on where this was going forward. It sounds like, Pete, you felt the same way? Yeah, I was super, like, I I felt like they did such a great job of, like, setting this up in a familiar way where, like, okay, yeah, yeah, we can understand what's on Star Wars. This totally makes sense. Checking all the boxes, really amazing art, cool character development, and also this kind of, like, uh, older, disgruntled Jedi kind of on this new world and that's supposed to be his holy ground, and people are pushing me. I don't like crowds, you know, so it was like... Uh, we're kind of. By the way, this is not about the comic. This is just stuff Pete's saying. Nope. Yeah. Nope. I'm talking about the comic. Oh. Okay. And then uh, just such a cool twist, fun reveal that really turns it and really just kind of like, oh, now I'm really into this comic, and it's uh, raises it up a level that only was surprising, but just fit really cool uh, and made everything much so much better moving forward. So I was really impressed with this. Um, I haven't been, I, I don't know a ton about this section of the Star Wars universe, um, but this was a lot of like magic, basically. Right, right. Um, it's sort of a, a Harry Pottered the Star Wars universe, which I uh, was sort of surprised about and was like, oh, I feel a little lost in this mythology. Um, I like the idea of a, a popular religion, basically, that is being a Jedi splitting into a ton of different sects and having that be like a battle of who, like who has dominance there. Um, I hope we get into that because this very much felt like watching a bunch of people fight, (laughs) like sort of bicker. But it's also really cool because right now in like Andor, we had this kind of like, you see the split of the Jedi and you see like a, uh, Nanjiani character who's basically like, I don't know what a real Jedi is. So I'm doing fake sleight of hand magic. Right. Is it Obi-Wan? Probably. Yeah. Okay. Kamel Nanjiani was an Obi-Wan. Not, not Andor. Andor. My yeah. bad. You're right. right. Um, got a little things confused. But what what's nice it's is all it's, the, it's all the same thing. It all goes to the same place in the end. You know what I'm talking about? I hear you. I hear you. But <laughs> my uh, point off, being. Definitely not. <laughs> it brought up an interesting idea that this comic is exploring more. Like if there are these different sanctions, then certain things are going to be more important to them. And so I felt like that's what was cool about it. 
The Flash, The Fastest Man Alive, number two from DC Comics, written by Kenny Porter, oh, art man. by Juan Ferreira. This is what Justin was hinting at earlier. Oh, still yes. teeing up the Flash movie that we all know is going to be coming out very soon in theaters. Very excited. I already got my tickets. This issue, we are seeing our Flash learn how to phase, vibrate his molecules, go through things as he fights Tar Pit this reinvented DCEU version of the classic Flash villain. Justin, sounds like you were annoyed by this. Well, like, I I, I like some, the idea of the learning how to phase, I think is a cool idea, and I like sort of where we ended up um, with him learning to, like, be still in different moments. Fun idea. A great, put that in the movie. But the idea that they went with Tar Pit and drew him to be a Venom ripoff, essentially, I was like... No, not Venom's working. so popular right now, though. You know what I mean? But that's, that's so that, that, I smelled right that. It I smelled much, that real quick. Much creepier to me that, and this is getting into spoilers, oh. that he seems to be a talking skeleton that just happens to have some tar around him. Well, and again, like again, this feels very underbaked. But it was a talking skeleton where the, he doesn't have a human skull, though. He has, like, a horse skull, yep, sort of. Right. And I'm out. like, so what happened to this mobster who is Tar Pit, <laughs> who is a talking skeleton who covered in tar that he can control, but if it gets wet, tar's over, baby. Back to <laughs> being a talking skull who's who spends the whole issue fighting with his brother, who's his villain friend. And I was like... None of this, none of this is working. Uh, the Flash stuff was working. Tarpit as a villain was nonsensical, I thought, and I was just put, and a very disorganized crime. Well, this was hard for me because, like, first off, the art is great. Just to say a compliment, um, the art is good. Yeah, but I, you know, I don't really want to. Uh, this is Ezra Miller's Flash, clearly. So, like. Felt weird supporting this uh, right now. So it was just kind of like th- it was problematic. Well, I don't think they have a huge stake in this. I feel like this is just being written <laughs> yes, and drawn to look and, a little bit like Ezra. Note, and I know I have a much lower bar with Flash comics than both of you do. Just to see You Flash love short, fast characters. I do love fast characters. I do love the Flash. And so on that base level... I I enjoyed it in terms of it being a flash story. I think you're absolutely right. The whole tar pit thing is nonsensical, but also getting into it, it's very clear that they're like, we can't do girder on screen. We can't do tar pit on screen. Whoever yeah. is in issue three, we probably can't do them on screen as well. We're going to do all the stuff that we can go wild with the quote unquote budget and then go from there. I'm saying quote unquote a lot this episode, but whatever. Yeah, because you're, you're what you're doing is you're offering quotes for the media, the larger yes, media. Here. Exactly. These and are you my just quote yourself by saying you're saying I think believe budget. So that's a good quote. Budget. <laughs> I believe uh, Thomas Jefferson famously said budget. (laughs) Anyway, on that level of a Flash comic, I was like, yeah, this is a fun adventure. And like you were saying, I think the the, uh, phasing stuff was fun. And I think well done and tied to his immersion journey. I appreciate the fact that we didn't see Batfleck again this issue. I thought that was going to be a function every single issue. So I'm glad they changed it up a little bit, but like Pete is saying, I, what are, uh, we don't know what they're doing with the movie. They should probably should be doing nothing with the movie. So uh, it, this feels like a little bit of a lame duck comic. If that's yes, great term to throw on this. It's sort of like so, we're releasing this because we have nowhere else to put it. 
Yeah, which is a bummer because clearly people worked very hard on it. So I don't want to dismiss yeah. any of their work. And like we're saying, artists. like it is, yeah, the art's very good, and the, half of the story is good. Um, but I guess in general, I would just call this loose bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Scotch McTiernan's Halloween Party, number one from Image Comics, written by Jerry Dugan and Brian Posey, and art by Scott Goldberg. This is actually following up on the 420 special that they did, I believe, with this yes. action movie style character. Now he is mixing it up with some Halloween monsters. I'll tell you what, I'm going to throw this out there and then I'll move it over to Pete, who I believe has some familiarity with weed. I am not <laughs> a stoner and I don't like stoner no. humor. I know. Alex, what? Cornell, you don't say. I love the idea here of these Halloween monsters being really frustrated about what's happening with Halloween and trying to recruit this guy to help them out. I thought that was great. I thought they totally yeah. played that well. That was very fun. I had a very good time reading this the, book. The commentary. So let me just say, so uh, Pete, so uh, High Times, what do you think about the comic? <laughs> uh, High Times is a great magazine. No, I just think I know, that You were the, featured in it. Uh, I think the thing that was like, um, I was never featured in it, but thank you for thinking so. You um, judged. You judged something for them. Yeah, but that doesn't mean I was featured in the magazine. What did Anyways, you judge for them? Let's not get into this. Was my it point, some sweet ganja? Oh my god! <laughs> Good. So, Alex is speaking the language, Pete. Yeah, give yeah. Him, he, he's, I'm not going to give him any encouragement for that. Uh, <laughs> I love the idea of monsters. We being, could be like uh, Peach and Chonglix. Oh my, wow! <laughs> did you, did you think that was <laughs> worth stopping me for? That's definitely. So, no. so anyways. <laughs> I love the idea of monsters being so turned off by humans and everything that we're doing um, that they uh, would rather hide and hang out together and party. Such a great idea, fun premise. And then having like, hey, let's have this horrible person, you know, uh, try to save the day. So I I thought it was very over the top, uh, but also fun. Um, I like this as well. I'll give it up because uh, I thought the premise was super strong. Like sitting down and talking with anyone who's like super baked. <laughs> it starts out where you're like, oh, that is dope. Yes, I agree with you. And then by the end, you're like, wait, did you say Santa Claus? <laughs> uh, so like I feel like at the top, the premise of like monsters being like, yo, the world's so scary. How are we going to be scarier yeah. Yeah. is so smart, so fun. Um, and I, the fact that it sort of spins <laughs> a, a, away from that is wild and gets into a follows tangent after tangent, getting to right. something completely Classic different story. Yeah. hundred percent. And so like, I'm like, I see what this is and I'm here for that. Mm-hmm. I would, would still like to read the version of it that is like, no, this is just that premise of monsters trying to outscare the real world, yeah. which is like, I, I don't know how to use that idea, but it is a very smart idea. Agreed. Great. Next up, Punisher War Journal Brother, number one, from Marvel, written by Torin Gronbeck, art by Raphael T. Pimentel. This is another one of these one-shots that is spinning out of Jason Aaron's run on The Punisher. The Punisher is working for and kind of running the hand in this issue. We get two concepts going on, one where the criminal underworld decides to band together and basically pull a end of John Wick 2 moving into John Wick 3 on the Punisher. (laughs) And then meanwhile, in the middle of that, Jigsaw rears his head at the same time Mm -hmm. and comes Mm -hmm. back. So lots of stuff going on here. Um, 
Pete, before I get into any of my thoughts, take it away. Yeah, this is just <laughs> fun, over-the-top Punisher greatness. Um, yeah, what's nice is, and also what's uh, cool about uh, what's going on in uh, Daredevil is we're building towards something here. So this is kind of a cool uh, a point uh, before the kind of dynamite blows here. Uh, I, this idea that if the Punisher is the head of the kind of hand here and uh, are running things... Uh, and just having unlimited resources, he is taking down so many crime families now and so many things. So they're trying to pool their money together and do a John Wick situation where if you have any information, let them know so they can try to take the Punisher down. And uh, yeah, great premise, fun. Um, you know, Jigsaw is not one of my favorite Punisher characters, um, but uh, right. yeah, I enjoyed. He looks too much like the Punisher. I just, uh, yeah, I, I, as a premise, it's not one of my favorites. So, um, you don't like puzzles? Yes. A, don't like puzzles. <laughs> B, you know, here's a person who is a puzzle. I don't know where you're going with this, but, anyways, <laughs> my point is <laughs> literally asking. Uh, <laughs> A point. B, the same point. Yeah. A, C, I hate puzzles. I B, hate, I hate people who are yeah, puzzles. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just, uh, this is a great kind of exploration of what's going right on right now in the Punisher's world, and then just mm-hmm. adding another log on the fire. So I'm all now, for it. There's a huge change in the Punisher, in Frank Castle, in this issue. Page eight, first panel. Pete, do you know what I'm talking about? I'm hang on. I'm going there now. Please stand by. The Punisher is ordering an e- straight monstering some sort of Danish. Yeah, I, yeah. It's a I croissant. Thought it was, what's this? What are you talking about? He's ordering a croissant. Why is that I think bad? That's it not a croissant. That's a cheese Danish shape. It looks like a plain croissant to me. It was something fancier. It was definitely something fancier. Like what is this little fancy boy eating a little treat? <laughs> Why can't What's he like, doing? Hey, has he changed? Uh, what would you do, what would you do if you went about? down to uh, the West Village? You're online for a cronut, and you see the Punisher in front of you. What's your reaction? I'm gonna let him go. I'm gonna be like, "Hey, everybody, clear out, man! Let this guy get a cronut." <laughs> it, yeah, if you're behind Frank Castle, he's like, "What marmalades do you have today? <laughs> do you lose respect for him a little bit?" <laughs> nope. No, oh, hard no. Okay, well, hard no. All right. He he straight monsters he's this getting, in the second panel on page nine. He's getting photographed by people who want to kill him, and he's just got a mouthful of like delicate, fluffy Danish. I mean, if you're really going to live life, like, live it to its fullest. You know what I mean? Or it's either a cronut or a cruller. It looked like maybe it was a cruller. That's no, not a crawler. Crawlers are dude, long. It's a croissant, yeah. dude. What the fuck, man? No, I'm telling you, this is a cheese or, or jelly Danish. If, this here's what I'm going to say. If Torin Gronbach or Rafael T. Pimentel are listening to this podcast, please let us know what type of pastry the Punisher was eating because it is tearing us apart. This, Gotta know. I'm going to throw this out there. This should have been a miniseries. I know they're doing Ooh. these one shots here, but there is enough story here that Ugh. I would have loved to see it stretched out. I would have loved to see the Punisher on the run for a while against this criminal organization that is hunting him down all over the world. That's such, I know, like I was saying earlier, it's taken directly from John Wick, but yeah, it's such a great John idea. Wick. It should well, have happened. And then, then that would have felt like, to me, there was more room for the jigsaw thing, which felt like that took over the second half of the book. 
that's its own thing. I want to see what Jigsaw does with this new Punisher, but stuffing that all into one issue, it was too much there. It was like some sort of, like if you took cream and put it inside of a croissant, it would be like... It'd be bursting so out. So you're upset at the foreshadowing the of uh, the fact that you weren't going to like this. What? The oh, fact the, that the chrono, he ordered yeah. something fluffy mm. and delicious and combining yes. two. Well, things. here's the thing. I mean, this is getting into spoilers. Jigsaw is definitely going to be resurrected by the hand and come for yeah. Punisher again. That's 100%. 100% what this is setting up. You but don't know that. This was so good. I wanted more of it. That's my point. I, I agree. Like, and I am no Punisher fan, but I thought the actual word journal of it, like hearing him talk just logistically about you stuff. You love getting inside heads. I love being inside heads, but he isn't being like, I'm just boiling because my family's dead. I'm like, yeah, I, I know. You don't have to say say that all the time. Like, everyone has problems. But to have someone constantly saying you're their problems over and over again, I'm like, no, just have them talk about what's actually happening. And that's what this comic did in a great way. And the fact that Jigsaw, like, is almost his, like, looks like him, but his face is messed up. Like, that to me is very ripe for something. It reminds me of a comic called Dancer from back in the day. Mm-hmm. Anybody read that? By Nathan Edmondson, uh, which was this uh, comic where um, a CIA, uh, I want to say CIA, or some sort of spy was hunted down by a young clone of... He was a tiny of, dancer. He was a tiny dancer. A yep. younger clone of himself. And that's what felt like Jigsaw was sort of occupying here. And that should be at least a four-issue miniseries. Yeah. Absolutely. DC's Terrors Through Time, number one from DC Comics, written by Paul Levitz, Sholly Fish, Peter V. Nguyen, Zach Thompson, Charles Skaggs, Jeremy Hahn, Matthew Levine, and Tim Seeley. Art by Raul Fernandez, Luciana Vecchio, Peter V. Nguyen, Andy McDonald, Tom Mandrake, Juan Doe, Corona, and Kelly Jones. This is, as you could probably figure out, another collection of horrific tales. From DC Comics, though these are, per the title, kind of jumping through time, I'll just jump to the end and say the absolute best one, as we were kind of talking about a little bit earlier, or maybe on the live show, Tim Seeley, Kelly Jones, perfect combination. By far. Come on. Uh, Put this on the the Tim Seeley Hall of Fame. Man, I love this story. The Haunting of Wayne Manor, I think, is the title. Um, And man, it is so good. Uh, The the art's beautiful by Kelly Jones, and it's just a great story across the board. Man, it was good. Otherwise, this issue is strange that it was collected through time because I was like, that's a weird detail. None of these stories are related to time. Before you start – the way, just let me say the one in the middle with um, Catwoman, Poison Ivy, and there it's like they're in 1995. I was like, what? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing about it is about Bring 1995. It. But they weren't even friends in 1995. I don't know that. If I remember. But that's no, the whole in, point of the story is how they became the Gotham City Sirens. Right. Yeah, but it's but, not. No, I'm, I'm on the same it. page as you. I'm, all right. Yes, all right. Before no. you guys start shitting on it, like the Super Sons, great. I, anytime Agreed. they're together, that was great so yes. awesome. Like I, I miss them. That such the two of them together is just fantastic. Always. And sorry, just to mention the concept of that story a little bit. The Super Sons, John Kent and Damian Wayne, decide to dress up as each other. Of course, the Justice League gets in trouble. They have to save them, and they use the switched costumes to help solve the problem. Like you were saying, be very fun to go back. Yeah. And I also, the first story, the Phantom Stranger, a horrible name, but I also thought that was a pretty classic kind of like DC story. 
And, uh, yeah, I also, you know, I enjoyed the Jorge Corona one with uh, Etragon. I don't know how to really say it. Etragon, the demon. Yeah, the demon um, was also enjoyable. I mean, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, sometimes the mix of stories can hit you weird or sometimes, you know, uh, you enjoy it. So, I don't know. I, I didn't, I wasn't as down on it as you guys. I thought it was like... An interesting collection for sure, and a lot of great art. I'm not even that down on it. I it was just a, such a strange idea to collect them around this time thing because it really was just like a bunch of fun stories that weren't particularly scary. Even yeah, maybe they have a collection of stories that are like I don't know what to do, and somebody was like, "Oh, try to find some through line, even if it's small." And they're like, "Through time." Yeah, just put the <laughs> put the sirens in 1995 for no reason. Yeah, sure. Dude, I, I don't get year. that Phantom Stranger guy. That's definitely a mental block that I have, so I'm not blaming anybody if they do like the Phantom Stranger. But there's something about him like, what do you do? See, I, yeah, you don't you know a what ghost? he does. Are you just a guy with a hat? What's going on here? I'm He's not a ghost sure. with a hat, and he fights yeah. other ghosts, basically, with different okay. jewelry he has. The parts of that story that were strange were like – just the, some of the ancillary characters, I was like, what are you all talking about? There's a couple like try, like about to hook up, and he's like, was this the right time to touch your shoulder or something? I was like, what is this dialogue about? <laughs> but if you do want to check out a good Tim Seeley, Kelly Jones story, definitely check that out. Yes. The oh, Super yeah. Sun story, I believe, by Sholy Fish was also very good. So there you go. Let's talk about Do a Power Bomb number five. Yeah. Image Comics by Daniel Warren Johnson. This one almost literally flips the script here as we continue to fight our multiversal wrestling match, focusing on a new team while the team we've been following goes up against them. There's some big twists in this issue and some big emotional stakes. Pete, take it away. All right, first off, the action, the wrestling action that you get in these comics is phenomenal. I'm not like the most... Hugest wrestling fan. I liked wrestling when I was a kid and, uh, you know, go to events and stuff when I can. Um, but man, like (laughs) this was. Thank you for your service. Just really so moving, so touching. You kind of get this father daughter thing that you think is the main thing, but we get such a twist in this. Such a tear-jerking event. I don't I don't know what's gonna happen moving forward. This is such a creative masterpiece, so well drawn. The action's over the top. It is just super bananas. It is just so so unbelievable. Super bananas. Yeah, it's the it's tightest, bananas. most super bananas. Yeah. Super um, tight bananas. Yeah, this is Great, great to follow that uh, idea up. I I also love this. Um, the way the art is fantastic. The way that Daniel Warren Johnson um, incorporates sometimes goofy wrestling specifics. The yep. idea of being like, get me a chair. Like they're in an uh, an interdimensional battle to the death with random, like horrifying wrestlers from all these different places, all competing to resurrect the most important person in their life that they've lost. Huge emotional stakes. At the same time, they're like, all right, it's time to get serious. Bring out a table and I'm going to throw someone <laughs> through this. So it has that sort of, it references those specifics about wrestling. wrestling, dude. They can't. That's what I'm saying. Like the spe- using those specifics, but making them feel high stakes is hard. And Daniel Warren Johnson does it. It, 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 pay, it pays 
homage to the bona fides, uh, the wrestling bona fides that are included here. And it is a great book. There's a twist at the end of this issue that I thought was fantastic. I think there are two more issues that we have mm-hmm. left, oh, uh, which I'm, I'm very so excited nervous. about. We're going to get a great reveal at the end of the next issue. I guarantee it. Well, that's the other thing that I want to mention, and then we can move on because we've already said a ton of praise about this issue, is that nobody can make you feel emotion for characters that you have only just met in that issue by the end of the issue, like Daniel Warren Johnson. It is is like it's him and Pixar, and that's pretty much it. So (laughs) it's great. Great. Amazing Spider-Man 11 from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, art by John Romita Jr. We are kicking off a new arc here with a new question mark hobgoblin who is popping up while all of the old hobgoblins are in the mix as well. I love the mystery structure here. I think this is very fun. I'm really enjoying this run on Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, this is great. Uh, I agree. I, I've loved Zeb Wells' work on this. Um, the John Romita Jr. art is uh, fantastic as well. Feels like a great classic Spider-Man story. Hobgoblin's one of those villains that I was always like, what's his deal again? Who's underneath the mask? It's like a random sort of thief who's fighting with other hob- – all the Hobgoblins are fighting each other all the time. So this um, arc, I hope, will offer some clarity and really – pin the story on something else. Um, But I also love the way that these last couple arcs are making us stressed about Norman Osborn in a new way. Like Norman is, quote unquote, a good guy. Quote unquote is something. Let me quote unquote Alex with my quote unquotes because that's sort of his thing. But he's, quote unquote, a good guy, quote unquote, now. And so it's stressful to see uh, Peter Parker being like, oh, trusting him and like, it seems like he's there and he's doing it, but you know, inevitably, it's it's probably not going to be. Um, Zeb Wells is an amazing writer, and Romina Jr. is an amazing artist. <laughs> God, man, why, why do you hate it? You just hate it. Well, this isn't what I want Spider-Man to be doing, so I'm not going to be excited about what's happening right now. Well, in he, this he needs to be kissing Mary Jane all the time. Well, he needs to get his shit back together and figure out whose side. Spider-Man needs to get his shit together. Okay, yeah. J. Jonah Jameson over here. Jesus but I also Christ! Think- if there is any character who traditionally, since the beginning of time, has never had his shit together, and that is 100 percent baked into the concept of the character, it's Spider. Spider-Man. Oh, well, yeah, you're gonna I, tell you're gonna tell me about Spider-Man, are you? Yes. You're gonna tell Since me clearly you don't know what's going on. Oh, I know what's going on. Uh, they're oh, making Spider- different Spider- choices than uh, the choices that I want them to be making. Spider-Man, right? the character who traditionally makes good choices. It's the very first issue of Amazing Fantasy that he appeared in. But here, let me let me speak, Pete, briefly. <laughs> Pete doesn't want Spider-Man to get his shit together. He wants him to have gotten his shit together. Right, like because no, literally, I, I, this arc, this arc is about this Zeb Wells run is about Spider Man made a mistake six months ago, and he's trying to fix it. And I putting him because Spider Man's always sort of under the gun in a minute to minute basis. He's always right. like, like oh, I messed up. I need to fix this with Aunt May, Mary Jane, whoever. And the, what I think is very smart about this run is he's under a much larger gun. He made some huge mistake, and we don't know what it is yet. Six months ago. And so his whole life is suffused with this energy. 
and it makes it it spreads the tension out in a great way and lets us get into these smaller relationships. And I'm been really enjoying that uh, version. Well, of I'm glad that. you're having fun, man. That's awesome. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Wonder Woman number 792 from DC Comics, written by Becky Clunan yes. and Michael W. Conrad and Jordi Belair, art by Marguerite Savage and Paulina Gunnashow. In the front story, we're continuing to get the reemergence of Cheetah. Wonder Woman discovered her imprisoned, yes. the last issue. That's where we pick up here. And in the backstory, we're continuing to get Adventures of Young Diana. What'd you guys think about this one? This was an unbelievable issue uh just continues to be such a cool exploration of wonder woman first off there was some really amazing covers if i could back up the truck for a second uh really impressive uh yeah just uh amazing art uh this is just such a solid issue i love the friendship the the, the fact that wonder woman is not giving up on cheetah in this issue even though uh, she does what she does to her. And, like, I was just... Uh, the, the art and the storytelling right now with Wonder Woman is just so, so absolutely fantastic. I'm having such a blast. Yeah, great supporting cast, great Wonder Woman stuff. Um, this book continues to really be able to make stuff happen each issue while also telling a great overall story. And then shout out to the um, Wonder Woman as Scott Pilgrim uh, backup story happening. Yeah, it's got a nice She-Ra Netflix series vibe to it, and it's enjoyable. Love Everlasting, number three from Image Comics, written by Tom King, art by Elsa Charatier. I really, Charatier. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, this is continues to be a meta riff on romance comics. This time we're spending time in one time period with a twist by the end. As our main character is continued trying to escape whatever sort of romance comics hell she has been stuck into. This book is great. Yeah. I, I love this book. It's a little too heartbreaking for me. That ending was a little a little dark. Uh it's very impressive the storytelling that's happening and the twist that they can pull it off and it makes sense and fits in with what's going on. The, the arts are really fantastic. Uh, I feel like uh, the real hero of this. And uh, I, yeah, I was just a little, you know, I like my, I like my romances with a, with a, with a happy ending, with some hope, with some, with a bright future. Uh, it was a little dark, uh, which, Hey, you know, sometimes that happens in life. So, you know, understandable, but, um, yeah, I was a little, I was a little scared and worried for our main character. Well, we got a, maybe next issue, it'll be uh, more of a resolution. Uh, for Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Uh, but I, the way that Tom King is just riffing on romance comics and finding a way to keep both the overarching premise and arc of this, as well as the individual issues, uh, in genre, but also commenting on the genre and just a compelling story um, throughout is great. And the art by um, Elsa uh, Charitier is like sort of Archie-esque, uh, which gives us a little bit of a touch of that romance comics, while also having a little bit of vertigo flavor to it as well. So it's just great. Daredevil number four from Marvel, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Rafael De La Torre. In this issue... We are traveling to the new strongholds of the Fist, where Daredevil and Elektra are aiming to become the new king and queen of this organization that is going to go up against the Punisher's hand. They're working with Stick, and most importantly, they are working with Foggy Nelson, who's coming along. Yeah, come on! Having a hard time climbing up mountains, getting really winded. 
it's a tough time for him. The atmosphere is very thin there, and he's probably having a hard time breathing. Hey, climbing is hard, man. All right. Mm-hmm. He's fuck. mostly sleeping in this issue. <laughs> so? I'm just, that's fine. Yeah, you, he's your favorite hero, so I just want to ask, like, what do you think he's dreaming about? Oh, man. He's probably thinking about dreaming about just helping his best friend to dream. I bet, I bet Foggy's dreams are all like him putting on his pants. Like he has a dream and he's like, well, getting dressed for the day. Like he got his pants on especially fast. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what a win for Foggy. Uh, no, great. but all all the joking aside here, I really love what they're setting up. This kind of clash that we're going to get of Daredevil and Punisher uh, with their roles uh, that they're currently op- occupying. So I... You know, Daredevil used to be running the hand. Now the Punisher is. I'm very excited about it. I like this creepy kind of marriage setup thing that happens in this issue. Really very cool. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just super, super impressed with not only the art, but the writing in this book right now. It is uh, one of my favorites. Uh, when I get my stack, I really look forward to reading it. Uh, yeah, I agree. And like... Dare, the Daredevil Electra relationship is really exciting. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm here for that. It does feel like he's embracing sort of the darkness in a way that he, you know, tried to avoid or whatever he's get close to doing and never actually do. And now he's literally marrying Electra to be the king and queen of the hand, uh, which is something you know you, you don't want to connect the yourself fist. to the it's hand. It's the fist. It's not the hand. It's a hand. It's a fist. It's a hands yeah. of fist. Oh, hands you think fist, they're going to discover fist. they're somehow the same organization? That's crazy. I got a strong feeling. I mean, they're named similarly. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, if there you are, is like Kraft macaroni and cheese, and it's like Kraft uh, macaroni and cheese. You're <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's probably uh, there's pretty probably similar. some relationship there. Yeah. Next up, the Jurassic League number six from DC Comics, written by Daniel Warren Johnson and Juan Gideon, art by Juan Gideon. This is tying up the saga of dinosaurs who are the Justice League fighting Darkseid, who is also a dinosaur. Go for it, Pete. All right. Amazing covers. Just hell yeah. What a fun giant fight sequence. Completely over the top, just, you know, you're playing with your action figures, just, uh, just, just great. Just so much fun. Uh, It's not deep. It's not profound. It's just a cool, fun idea that's very well executed, that really sticks to the core of what these characters are about. Uh, This... It's great. Issue. This is a great issue, and it's a ton of fun. I think I said fun enough times. It's fun, 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 fun. Those dinos are fighting, and man, do they fight! And we see them be different members of the Justice League, but dinosaurs. Did you guys get that from this? Why I, I wasn't picking dick? up on that. I wasn't picking up on that personally, but I do think Juan Gideon's art is great. Uh, you know, Danny Warren Johnson is awesome, but I think Juan Gideon has been doing a fantastic job here with this. And it's one big fight scene. It's fun and it's silly. It doesn't have the emotional weight of do a power bob by any means. But it's it, if you're looking for dinosaurs fighting each other, there you go. That's what you, you know. Have. Not every comic has to be like all the things. You 100%. Know what I mean? Yeah, so, that, that is what it is. It is dinosaurs fighting and it's fun. 
Masquerade, number two from Dark Horse Comics, written by Kevin Smith and Andy McElfresh, art by John Sprenglemeyer. And this issue, we talked about the first issue of this, and I think we're mixed and waiting to see what happened now that they got to the concept with the second issue, so I thought it was worth talking about this. This is taking place in maybe like a future world where a TikTok superstar, at least in the first issue, seemed to have put on some sort of face-changing technology to take care of people who have been abusing women. In this issue, maybe the same lady is doing some sort of To Catch a Predator show. Um, tell you what, not totally clear to me what's happening in this comic book. Yeah, but no, it's you kind of get everything you need to know. It's uh, somebody who's fed up with assholes and uh, is going to take it to the streets and have their own justice. So that sounds uh, like a great concept. I'd love to read that book. That doesn't seem to happen here. That's happening. Is it? Yeah. She is catching predators and then torturing them and ripping their faces off. What's the problem? The connection between the first part, which is 90% of the issue, and the part where she's wearing some sort of mask, presumably her, and torturing some people the last two pages, three pages, something like that, there's no connective fiber between it. Justin, it feels like maybe you're on the same page. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, it feels like I think we're meant to make that assumption. Right. Um, but it's not I, that I just, hard of a leap. No, it's not. But like, I want a story to sort of tell me what the story that it's telling me. And this is sort of asking me to fill in some information here. And also, it's like all of the the way this like catching these pedophiles in the first half, it's like. It's a bit gratuitous and a bit like, what is the point of this? Also, if you're getting a, not a costume to also do the same thing later, it's like, what, why are you doing it all day and then also all night? Like, is, is it one thing or is it two things? It's just a little confusing. And um, I guess this would probably be my loosest banana of the day. Wow. <laughs> I uh, mainly, I think, not to dig into much about this, but I also think like it's kind of leery at the same time. Yes. Like, what do you mean, like it, Dennis Leary? No, like no. it's leering. Like it's it's giving us a little cheesecake at the same time. It's like, whoa, don't look at cheesecake. Don't do that. It's sort of the dynamite thing in a certain way where they're like, check out these foxy ladies on the cover. But we're a serious comic book publisher. And I'm like, all right, I don't know. Like choose a lady here, I guess. And in this case, yeah. if they're trying to drag us in with this stuff and make like these sexy things that are going on, it strikes me as potentially problematic, and I say this as three guys on a podcast, that the major part of the team here is three guys doing a thing about female empowerment. This is just not working for me personally. Yeah, the point of view is confusing to your point, Alex, where it's like, are we meant to – who are we – Who who's right here? And what's the idea? Because it feels like the comic is like, is it, look at this woman doing this. And it's I, sort of like – Nah, not I liked the concept that they set up at the first issue of exactly what Pete is laying out here of somebody who puts on this mask and brings the justice that she can't bring or things right. that were done to her. They're not executing on that is my point. It seems like they are, though, is my for you. Clearly. OK, there you go. And maybe that and you may be right, Pete, and you may be mm -hmm. filling in the gaps correctly. But I think I guess what I'm saying is like it feels like. Maybe that's a reveal for next issue that it is that full idea, but there's just a lot of stuff happening here that leaves me a little bit um, uh, like not happy. Okay. 
All Out Avengers number two from Marvel, written by Derek Landy, art by Greg Land. This is continuing wild adventures of the Avengers while some weird stuff is going on in the background and somebody seems to be pulling the strings. Here we have Doom has been split into two, a good Doom and a bad Doom. To bring them together could mean the end of the world. Whatever will the Avengers do? Basically, every issue of this book is like the last issue of a crossover event. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that to me is super fun. I think just to throw it out there, it seems pretty clear. It's probably the games master is doing this. Oh, uh, I mean, probably right. That's well, probably the guy. Going on. He loves games. He does love games. Prove me wrong. Kids prove me wrong. Uh, but you know, it's fun. It's exactly what it's advertises on the cover and it's executing on that. And I'm having a good time. I agree. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's uh you know, what's more fun than Doom versus Doom? You know what I mean? And you're pulling for Doom. You're kind of like, man, I hope Doom wins. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's, it is it is kind of all out, over the top, and uh, well-drawn and, and uh, super entertaining. So I'm having a blast. If you've been missing on a comic uh, called The Ultimates uh, from back in the day, oh, this yeah. is the comic for you. It feels very Ultimates. Greg Land art. It's all extreme. Everyone's like sort of at their at 10 she hulk mm-hmm. iron man's just like very lax about it, the, the uh world ending situation they're in dr doom is sort of narrating and he's very extreme at the same time um i agree with you i enjoyed it as well the preview for the next issue is like uh cap fighting like 50 red skulls so i'm like okay let's oh, keep being okay. extreme here gang it, it um, feels like a good companion to the jason aaron book it doesn't necessarily have the charm or the endearing nature of what jason aaron is doing where i know justin you bring up all the time it's like playing with all the ties in the books but there's still this sweet quality to it in a certain sense this is like yeah. you're saying it's the ultimate it's like Smash, smash, action figures fight, smash, smash, smash. And there's a place for that as well. Yeah, it's like the uh, the Jason Aaron book is like sort of like you're saying sweet. It's all about the fun. It's like, look how much fun we're having. And this book is but a little bit like about the calories. We, the calories. Exactly. Yeah, you want to watch your sweet like, too much stuff. candy. Yeah, yeah. This is um, like, what if we smashed all of them together at once and lit a firecracker? <laughs> and it's like, OK, a uh, little more dangerous, a little less fun. Last but not least, Batman versus Robin, number two from DC Comics, written by Mark Wade, art by Mahmoud Azrar. This is picking up the storyline of not only is Alfred back and alive, seemingly, but Batman is trying to track down Damien Wayne Robin, who has gone rogue, is under the control of a demon who seems to be one presumes, trying to take over the world. Here we find out a bit of exposition about what has been going on, courtesy of the House of Secrets and Cain of Abel. So there's big crossover stuff going on here. And a reveal at the end that I have to be, I have to imagine, broke Pete's heart. Uh, What (laughs) did you guys think about this issue? I mean, Mark Wade brings the continuity heat um, in anything he touches, and this is great. And I'll tell you what, I've just Alfred's been up to no good for a long time, and I think hey, he's hey, been able to say that. Hey, like I, I think with this, because here's the thing: the reveal at the end of this uh, spoiler is that Alfred is possessed by this demon, and I'm going to say this: he, we don't know how long he's been possessed by this demon. It could be literally his whole life. Like he could have been demon Alfred now. this entire time. No, all right. First off, don't even get me started on that whole bullshit. But 
cool covers. This was so fun, very creepy, very well written and drawn. This is a tight package. I when I kind of first heard about this premise, I was like, eh, Batman versus Robin. We've seen this a bunch, but I really think that this is a a really cool way to go about it. They do a really good job of building an issue. Even if it's kind of a little bit of a letdown that it's evil Alfred, but um, I, I'm still having Butler a blast. Butler did this. it. The Butler still, did it. I'm still having a blast, and I don't buy into it's not Alfred's fault. You know how Batman's going to figure it out? If instead of bringing bouillabaisse base or cucumber sandwiches, he'll bring him deviled eggs. Oh, and he's going to like these eggs are evil. I'm the world's greatest detective. You can't pull Pete me. White guy to uh, quote the uh, Stoner comic we were talking about before. Mm. There we go. What? If you'd like, I don't know what Pete's talking about. If you'd like the to see Halloween are, special, there are deviled eggs. Yeah, uh, yeah there are right. deviled eggs. That's right. You're right. There you go. Sorry, Pete. I apologize. If you'd well, like to, you have to apologize for that. That's a <laughs> no, reference. No, I liked it. Don't ruin the moment, Justin. <laughs> Alex okay. was apologizing to me for years of shit, and I appreciate it. And, no, uh, it's not just accurate. For this one no, if no, you'd like to support our podcast, Patreon.com. If you think he apologized to you, you are, you're high right now. <laughs> if you would like to support our podcast, Patreon.com <laughs> slash Comic Book Club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come back out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the Peter Rita shop. Hey, you can put salt on your Sorry, I'm just, I'm just returning these bananas. Did you just tell me to tenant. put salt on my asshole? Oh my God, dude. That's oh around the rim. Uh, I gotta cut that out. Good. No, leave it in. Please cut it out. That's what uh, Pete said about the Peter Rita. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I'd be talking so calmly about that. Please cut that out. <laughs> <laughs>